Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. The title of this is called Remember the Horn. Remember the Horn. Hold up that shofar for a moment, bro. Can you hold that up? That's called a shofar or a ram's horn. Okay, and that is talked about in scripture. God used it, uh, gave it to Moses and the Israelites to blow during different important seasons, biblical calendar dates for Israel, specifically on the Day of Atonement, which is every September. We're coming up on the High Holy Days of the most important Jewish festivals. And so the shofar, I'm going to talk about it in a moment, is what Joshua had the priests blow when they were going around Jericho, which we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6 in a little while. But I looked up a Jewish website called Kabad, and that's C H. A-B-A-D, Kabad.org. And there's lots of articles there. that These are not Christians, okay? These are Jewish people that talk about the Torah, talk about the prophets in the Old Testament. And there was an article on 11 reasons why we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah or the Day of Atonement, okay? By Mordecai. Lightstone, that definitely sounds like a Jewish name. And I just want to read these to you. Number one, the return of the king. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it, everything you see in the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. Okay? Not everything Jewish people talk about is a shadow of what is to come, but what is in the scriptures is a shadow of what is to come. But many of the traditions that Jews follow don't realize how much of it points to the Messiah, Jesus. We believe that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come already 2,000 years ago, and we believe that he's going to return one day. So they blow the shofar as an announcement of a reminder, it's kind of like when you hear your alarm clock in the morning and it says, be at fire school at 7.59. Maybe it doesn't say it like that, but you know, I gotta get ready. I gotta brush my teeth. I gotta get, brush my hair. I gotta eat something. I gotta catch my Jeep ride or whatever I have to do to get here. Number two, listen to this, the great alarm clock. On Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the 10 days of repentance, or other people call it the 10 days of awe, 
we awake from our spiritual slumber. The shofar is like an alarm that calls us to examine our deeds and correct our ways and return to God. This is what Jewish people are saying. Always remember that what you have in the scripture came from Jewish heritage. It doesn't make us Jewish. It simply makes us to appreciate the root of where we came from as we've been grafted in is what Paul says. But number three, it's a reminder. The shofar was blown on Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. What's the Torah? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. On Rosh Hashanah, right, the day of all, we blow the shofar to remind us to rededicate ourselves to Torah study and to remind God of our original commitment and sincerity. That's what Jews are saying who don't have the Messiah. We have the Messiah and, you know, we look at the shofar and we say, why are people blowing? That's so weird. Well, honestly, it's, it's biblical. I'm not saying you have to blow it in a service all the time or we have to blow it on the high holy days. We don't even have to keep those days in order to be born again. But they're nice to keep if you are reminded of your walk with God. And there are trumpets in the New Testament. Just read the book of Revelation, right? When Jesus comes back again, he's going to hear a trumpet. We are going to hear a trumpet. The whole world is going to hear a trumpet. And it's important that we remain sober and vigilant. We remain alert, right? I'm not talking about the ram's horn as if it's some spiritual amazing thing. It's just, it's actually a piece of flesh from a horn of a ram. But yet, it's utilized to do something that we're going to talk about in a moment. Uh, number four, the voice. The shofar reminds us of the voice of the prophets who, like the blast of the shofar, called up upon us to correct our ways, follow God's commandments, and act properly with others. That's a good thing to be reminded of, right? So when you hear the shofar, like during a time of worship, people shout, people remain alert, people their attention gets fixed on the Lord, that's really the purpose of it. Really any instrument can do that, but there's something about the ram's horn that causes us to be alert. When somebody's playing a guitar or a piano, they're playing a rhythm, and that's easy to sing with. Whereas the shofar, you're not necessarily singing with it, you're most likely shouting. <laughs> there's a difference because you're not getting caught up and singing a nice, beautiful song, you're actually standing at attention, right? They sound an alarm when an army needs to gather and wake up from their sleep and all stand before their commanding officers, right? And they all get in line, they're all standing like this, right? They're at attention. The shofar is calling us to an attention, to pay attention to what God is saying, to look at our hearts, to say, what do I need to do to cause myself to be right with God? Number five, the tears. The shofar reminds us of the cries and tears shed for the destruction of the holy temple in Jerusalem, galvanizing us to bring Moshiach or the Messiah and hasten the rebuilding of the temple. 
This is what Jews think. Obviously, the temple is destroyed, and it's been destroyed since the time that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that interesting? There's no more need for a temple. There's no more need for sacrifices of the blood of rams and, and lambs and, and all these things. It's, it's not necessary anymore. Jesus is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. But to Jews, they remember the tears. They are crying out for their Messiah to come. We already had the Messiah come. Why are we not crying out for him to come back again? Amen? Why are we not broken with tears for the condition of the world around us? Number six, the sacrifice. The shofar made of a ram's horn reminds us of the binding of Isaac and the ram God provided as a sacrifice in its place. By blowing the shofar, we remember the faith of the patriarchs and our own capacity for self-sacrifice. Wow. What is the whole picture of Abraham laying his son Isaac on the altar a picture of? The father laying his son Jesus down. And God told Abraham, no, you don't have to slay your son. And he provides a ram, right? God provided a lamb for you and me. We don't have to sacrifice the way that Jesus did for our own salvation. We humble ourselves accept the sacrifice what he did for us 2,000 years ago and then we willingly sacrifice not based on trying to gain something but because of somebody who loves us number seven the awesome that's what it's called the awesome the shofar fills us with awe and humility as we contemplate the true infinitude or the eternal understanding of God how he fills space and time. So when we sound the shofar, we become aware that God is everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's awesome. There's something about, you know, just understanding who God is and worshiping him because of his awe, because of how awesome he is. We have to understand the Lord and the beauty of holiness that what Jesus shed for us in his blood is beautiful we didn't deserve it but that puts us in awe of worshiping God in spirit and in truth it's not just worshiping God to get something from him it's worshiping God because we're in awe of him number eight the introspection the shofar will be blown on the day of judgment when the Messiah comes. We blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us to examine our deeds and contemplate how we can improve them. It makes us think about, do I have sin? Do I need to repent? Do I need to look inward and compare myself not to other people but to God? Amen? Number nine, the celebration. The shofar blast will signal the return of the Jewish people back to the land, that's what they're saying, when Messiah comes. We blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of God's salvation for, in our own lives. Isn't that interesting? So they are believing that when Jews come back to the land, it's a sign that the Messiah is coming back. 
that's true, but when he comes back, it's going to be the second time. And it won't be to just save people anymore. It's going to take his people out. Jews, Gentiles, whoever has repented. If you're a Jew or a Gentile and haven't repented, then you will not go the second time with the Lord. Because we have a certain period of time in this life to get right with God now. And we don't know when Jesus is coming. We, can, we don't know the day or the hour, but we can look at the times and the seasons. And we can be aware that, whoa, I need to make sure that I'm paying attention to my heart being right with God and walking with Him and not playing games with God. See, people are saying, oh, when the people come back, we'll get right with God. There's always a later time that we think we can get right with God. But if you have an encounter with God and you have revelation that Jesus really is the Messiah, that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved, that it's the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, then you will recognize that it is so important for you to look inward and to say, God, where's my heart with you? Uh, number 10, the unity. The shofar blast when Mashiach or Messiah comes will herald a time of universal understanding and recognition of God's unity. We blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of God's unity. We are to be one. Actually, Paul said there's no more division between um, Jew and Gentile because Jesus broke down the middle wall of separation. So we have a responsibility to become one in Messiah Jesus. Number 11, last one, the screen. I found this one very interesting. The call of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah reminds us of the primordial scream, the eternal voiceless call of the soul expressing its desire to return to its creator. That's powerful. If we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out. Have you looked at a rock lately? Does it look like it's very involved in worship? But that's because there's a limitation in what we can see and hear and feel. Everything is dying around us and it's longing. It's crying out. In Romans chapter 8 it says, All creation is crying out that the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God would be revealed. Why is it crying out for this? Because when we are redeemed, we're the only creation that can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Reconciled back to God. Everything else is going to die and not live forever. Heaven was made for eternal souls. And we have a soul. And there is a scream in us. A longing for our creator to return. And the scripture tells us, that creation is longing for Christ to be formed in us. Isn't that powerful? So when you come in here to worship at chapel, don't just come in and say, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. You know, I mean, you understand what you're saying. Do you understand who you're speaking to? Do you understand what you're the posture of your heart was in. If Jesus walked into this room and was worshiping with us, would you worship differently? 
Think about it. I'm not trying to put a guilt on anybody. I'm just saying we need to hear the sound of the shofar today. So let me show you a picture of my son Jonathan at his desk in his dormitory this morning. So he sent me this early this morning, which is evening for him, and he wrote me this message. He said, the coolest, most unique thing happened today where I was facing reality that you guys would be gone. This is his first time. We're 8,000 miles away from him, okay? It's a little different than being an hour from home, okay? And I was he was feeling upset and nervous and upset. The train horn went off. And then he hears the train right. horn go off. I don't know if you can hear it. Right. And he says it's background. going off right now, and you can uh, probably hear it in the background. Right at that moment. Let me explain to you what that means. 21 or 22 years ago, we felt like the Lord called us to the Philippines. And when I was 14 years old is when I first heard the gospel. And every year our pastor would take us to this Christian family camp that was called CFO. It means camps farthest out. And it would meet at Messiah University where Jonathan's going to school. And we would go every summer, the last week of June, years later, we'd get right with God, Pensacola Revival, all those things. We feel called to the Philippines. So I go up to CFO. And I'm there this week with Casey, and everybody in the, in the whole conference gets put into a prayer group young pe with young people and adults with adults, men with men, women with women. So in my group, there were six, seven men. One of the men who was in that group, his name is Bill Yount. He's a very prophetic brother. I had no idea who he was. And so he's sharing how God uses him to blow the shofar. And when he does, how the Spirit of God moves, people have gotten healed, miracles. I'm like, cool, whatever. You know, uh, I'm going to the mission field. I have no idea what that thing is. But go ahead, blow it in my face. That's what I told him. I said, I need you to blow that thing in my face. I was just hungry. I didn't understand anything about it. I'm like, just blow it right here in my face, okay? And he says, listen, the last night I'll meet you in front of the cafeteria outside and we'll blow the shofar. Because he knew I was going to be a missionary in the Philippines. So I meet him there and he takes the shofar out and he has it up to his lips and he's about to blow it and the train horn goes off very loudly. I'm kind of stunned by that. He looks at me and he says, whatever God does in the natural, he's already done in the spiritual. He blows a shofar, and I mean, I feel the presence of God. I mean, just strong. And I'm undone. I can't even go to the meeting that night. I don't even know if I went to dinner. And I went in my car and I drove around for the next two hours in a local town nearby, just praying in the spirit, worshiping God. I couldn't stop. And it was getting late at night. It was almost maybe 10 o'clock at night. And so I came back and I parked my car uh, near the dormitory where our family was staying. And I closed the door and I hear train horn. And I kind of feel like I should stick around because I'm standing literally from here to that pole 
next to the train tracks, but the train's down a little farther. So I stick around and it's very dark. There's no lights. And I go and I stand at the train tracks and this train is coming. You can hear it. The light is so powerful on the front that it's, it's taking away all the darkness. And it's coming strong. And it comes flying by me. And I just kind of stand there like this. And I can't see the other cars behind it because the light is in front of the train. But yet I hear car after car after car after car going back. And it was pulling, pulling all these different cars in the darkness. And the Lord said, I'm sending you to the Philippines to bring people out of darkness into my marvelous light. And this scripture came to me. Isaiah 49 verse 8 and 9. Thus says the Lord, and this is a messianic scripture, but I believe it's for you and me too as we surrender ourselves to the Lord and fear his call for those that he's called us to. Thus says the Lord in the acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth to cause them to inherit desolate heritages. That you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. And when I read that, I felt like it was very clear that the Lord was saying, this is me telling you that yes, you're going to the Philippines. It's over 21 years ago when my son Jonathan had been feeling the last couple of years that he should go to college somewhere and learn how to become an engineer, which has been on his heart. We looked at three, maybe four different schools, but there was one school that came up and it was Messiah University. You have to understand, I'm not from the area where Messiah University is. I'm from New York, which is six hours north of Messiah. So I was only there once a year for that conference. It wasn't really on my radar after I realized I wasn't going to be going to college there. But yet, I take my son last year to go and check out the campus because Casey couldn't be with us at that time, and we meet with all the engineering leaders and professors and, and the other administration people, and we're like, wow, this really seems to be where God's calling Jonathan. And in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, this is wild. You know, thinking of the history there. And do you know that every year, <laughs> this is wild, every year, when that conference took place, the CFO conference, the last day there would be a, another conference coming in and it was always a messianic conference. Jews that believed in Jesus. And you know who the speaker was the majority of the time? Dr. Michael Brown. And I never knew who Dr. Michael Brown was until Pensacola. Very unique. Scott Volk, those of you who know Scott would be there different messianic leaders that I've met over the years that I thought, wow, this is crazy. 
So we're leaving the campus that day and we're crossing this little bridge from the campus to the main road and my window's down, Jonathan's window's down in the car and all of a sudden we're crossing the bridge just very slowly and we hear that train sound. And Jonathan looks at me and I could tell that to him this was his calling. This wasn't just about me 21 years ago or our, our family. It was very specific for Jonathan. God knew in 21 years, this is before Jonathan was born, that that young man was going to go to that college. And do you know, that's the most expensive college, that more expensive than Sierra and Abigail's school. And this is our third child that has a full scholarship. I'm not boasting in us. It's nothing to boast about. It's really by the grace of God that you see God preparing the way and opening up doors and making things happen. But beyond the money, beyond the sense of desire of what he wants to become, there was this sound that grabbed his spirit that said, Jonathan, you belong here. And so this morning, when he messaged me at quarter to five, I looked and he said, I was struggling this morning knowing you guys are gone. But then I heard the sound of that horn. You got to learn how to remember the horn in your life of when God's speaking to you. There's nothing great about a shofar. What makes the shofar unique is the breath of God coming from a redeemed soul that is vocally agreeing with God, His Word, and His Kingdom to be established on the earth. Listen, when we talk about Joshua 6, we talk about the walls of Jericho coming down, and we talk about walls falling down that, that were to destroy their enemies of Israel. But friend, it wasn't all about that only. It was about the saving of a harlot. Let's read Joshua 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up or tightly shut up because of the children of Israel. No one went out and nobody came in. They closed the doors of the wall. The people in Jericho knew that Israel was outside and they said, we're going to stay safe in our fortified wall. That's what the enemy think until a man or a woman of God with the breath of God in their lungs comes on the scene and begins to say, thus says the Lord. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho in your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. This is what God says. He's saying to you, I've given the enemy into your hand. I've given this city into your hand. I've given this island. I've given you the nations as your inheritance. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. You shall do six days. And seven priests will bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. 
This sounds crazy. To some of your family members, it sounds crazy. Why would you go attend that school? Why would you give yourself to the Lord? Why would you focus on what God's calling you to do? You need to make money. You need to get a good job. You need to have security in your life. My friend, there is no greater security than being in the center of the will of God for your life. Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, represents the presence of God, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said that a people proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. They were armed, not with weaponry, but with trumpets and with the sound of God in their lungs. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpet, trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark. While the priests continued blowing their trumpets, never stop prophesying your destiny and purpose. If God has given you a vision, then articulate that vision in the prayer room, in the secret place with God. Declare the wonders of the Lord. Friend, I declared this school into existence and I had no idea what I was declaring. I had limited understanding, but there were things in my heart that I could not let go. It was to talk about revival, and it was to talk about missions. It was to see Filipinos experience the presence of God and be raised up and sent out to the nations, locally and abroad. And we're seeing that. And the enemy tried to shut it down these last three years. But we're making a prophetic declaration today that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against us shall fall. Not because we're great, but greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. It blew the trumpets. You should not make any noise with your voice or shall a word proceed from your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. In other words, be still and know that I'm God. Only say what I want you to say when I want you to say it. You know that how hard that is for us to hold our tongues back from telling everybody how great we are? But friend, be still and know that he's God, not you. The more that you can learn to wait upon the Lord, and be refreshed in his glory and his presence and take on his nature and character. Whatever you do in secret will become the will and purpose of God for your life. I really believe that. We, we want to put a vision in front of ourselves and say, I'm going to project what I'm going to become. You can't project what you're going to be tomorrow. But God can. So it makes sense to just worship him and to trust him, to wait upon him, to say, God, I want to follow your will, not my own will. Amen? Jesus. They circled around going once, came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Verse 12, and Joshua rose early in the morning. Listen, you want to meet with Jesus? Rise up early in the morning. 
And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew their trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came up after the ark of the Lord. They continued, the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Second day they marched around, returned to camp. They did this for six days. This is like a type of fasting. Because they're obeying God to do something that doesn't make sense. How does withholding food and fasting, how does prayer change everything around you? Friend, it's not you who changes it. It's you who dies. And God says, oh, there's someone who's dead. I'm going to bring life. I'm the one to bring revival. I'm the one to bring awakening. That's what God says. But he says, I'm looking for a vessel. I'm the potter. You're the clay. Just be where he's telling you to be. Let him press in on your life. Let him change your mind. Let him establish new patterns of thinking. That's why you're here. The word and the spirit are going to take up residence on the inside of you as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to change everything. But it came to pass on the seventh day, verse 15, that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And on the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew their trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, shout. Listen, Joshua prophesied. And when he prophesied, it called all of Israel to prophesy. There's something about pure prophetic voices. They don't draw attention to themselves. They say, you can do what I've done and even greater. That's what Jesus said. Jesus isn't intimidated by people. Even their failures. He says, just... Do what you've seen me do. Just watch me. Just listen to me. Just digest what I'm saying to you. Let those nutrients go throughout your body and your mind. Let it change your thinking. Let it cause you to come to a place of recognition that God is first and everything is after. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, listen to this. Only Rahab, the harlot, a prostitute, shall live. She and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. You see, when God knows that there's somebody who's seeking his face and they're hungry, he will send a prophetic voice to knock their walls down so that they can come out of darkness and experience life with Jesus. You have a voice. You have a sound on the inside of you that God wants to release. And he has you where you are at this time in your life. And he's preparing your voice to take on more of the anointing and the power of the Spirit. 
As you die to self, you take on more of the nature and character of Christ that's already given to you at salvation. But you don't realize what you have until you have to appropriate it, until you have to apply it to your life. And it seems like times God will ask you to give more of yourself, of your time, your money, your, your, your everything, your talents, your ability. And it seemed like, God, I'm not sure I could do this. But then when you do it, you see it's for somebody else. Verse 18, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. See, that's a powerful word there. God was telling Israel, when you see those walls knocked down and everybody is destroyed, who is against me, don't take what they have. There was one young man who didn't listen. His name was Achan. And we read in the following chapter how Achan's sin caused him to be found out. He thought he could hide it. He experienced this great move of God. Do you know that you could sin in the midst of a revival? You could sin and say that you experienced the Brownsville revival. Friend, just because you experience those things doesn't mean you won't be tempted anymore. In fact, there are demons who want to destroy you the more faithful you are to God because they want to destroy your testimony. And if they could destroy your testimony, they could destroy your voice. And if they can destroy your voice, it can keep those who are living in darkness to continue to live in darkness. Oh, I hope you heard that. That all the silver, gold, vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated by the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Why would the Lord take those things? He doesn't need them. No, he took them because he knew if he didn't take them, it would get into the heart of Israel and they would build another golden calf. It's not wrong to have things as long as things don't have you. But the point is, is that he knew they were not yet in the promised land. They're on their way there. And there's no point in stopping where you're at in life if you're not going to get to where you are going. And God's called you to. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went into the city. Every man straight before him and took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man, woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house. You know, great men, women of God, don't just hide behind their titles. They make sure that they're getting to the people. They don't just like to sit on platforms. They don't like to just dress a certain way to draw people's attention to them. I'm not saying we shouldn't have excellence, but I'm saying that great men and women of God are thinking about how can I touch those who are dirty? 
How can I touch those who are broken? The young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all she had. All she had. So they brought out her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. Listen. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the gold, silver, golden vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all she had. Isn't there a scripture in Corinthians that say you'll be saved, you and your household? Isn't that interesting? When you come to the Lord, it doesn't save your lost family members, but it opens the door for them to be saved. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises, rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn. With his youngest, he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. His fame spread throughout the country. Joshua was made famous by God. Joshua didn't become famous on his own. Listen to that. Stop trying to be famous. Stop trying to gain something. Go after God in the secret place. Tell me how spiritual you are by going after God in the secret place. Show me. Don't just tell me. You say, well, how am I going to show you that if you can't see me going in a secret place? God will make it clear. He knows how to make you famous if that's what he wants you to do. There's some people that this world will never know about their sacrifice. But when they get to heaven, they're going to have the biggest, amazing, most powerful, beautiful home that God prepared for them. Because they didn't do it for themselves, they did it for the Lord. When God lifts you up, be careful, my friend to not take the glory for yourself. Remember this. Joshua was made famous by God. Do you know that Joshua could have wrote a book? He could have, he did write a book in the Bible. But he could have wrote his own book, could have starred in his own movie, right? The Joshua Project. The Awakening with Joshua, son of none. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. He could care less. What he cared about is what we read about Joshua when Moses was around. That when Moses would come out of the tent of meeting, Joshua would stay in there. And he would listen to the Lord. He would be obedient. He'd watch what Moses did, and then he did what Moses did. And when Moses was gone, he did what he was supposed to do. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more 
or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.